Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Kyrie Report wherever you get your podcasts. You're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. Always much appreciated when you tune in. You can read my work on ESPN.com. And I like doing these intros with the guest with me today, Sam Fortier, because I think this is his favorite part is to hear me say hello and welcome to my podcast. So Sam, hello and welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It, uh, I, I, it's one of the bits that I think will live forever. I was recently in Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl, and I, I, I drove home actually with Matthew Paris. Uh, we went back to New Orleans. I was flying out of there, and uh, on the ride home, we FaceTimed Pete Haley. He was in his office in Stanford, Connecticut, and I think immediately one of the bits that we did was, was hello and welcome to the FaceTime. <laughs> That's all right. Great. You know what? Maybe I should get a T-shirt made with that on there. There so- you go. Anyways, I haven't had a chance to talk to you in a while, or at least not on Zoom, where your mom, shout out Mrs. Fortier, can hear us chat. So, but I am curious, you know, a lot of things have changed since we last since I last had you on. I wanna I wanna point out for listeners real quick that time texted me frantically. He was in the supermarket buying pork belly, and so he needed a guest for today. And he was like, Hey, can you help? And uh, you know, 10 minutes earlier or something, my mom had texted me. Hey, have you done any podcasts recently? Recently, I, I miss hearing you, especially on John or something like that. And so I was like, all right, if those two things are going to happen at the same time, <laughs> I clear my busy schedule to, to talk to Kime for a couple minutes. There, there you go. And um, yeah, so I'm glad she chipped in. So anyway, a lot of things have happened. And we're coming at the end of the week where we're, you know, all that, all that good stuff. Some coaches have been Cliff Kingsbury, Joe Witt. I'm curious so far what your impression of their offseason has been. I would say after the Ben Johnson debacle, you know, sniping back and forth, it, it's been very good. I, I would say that you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think Dan Quinn is, is putting together an impressive staff, particularly with the additions of, of Brian Johnson and, and Jason Simmons. Um, I think those are guys who are going to help, who are addressing positions of need. Um, and so to me, I would say there's nothing they've done so far that is like ringing alarm bells or that I say, Oh, that, that can't work out. I do think there are reasons to be skeptical, to doubt, okay, like can a Cliff Kingsbury offense really help a young quarterback develop? I, I, I would give the benefit of the doubt right now. I would lean on the optimistic side. But if you wanted to present a case to be pessimistic about these things, I think you could. Uh, but when you ask for my take, I would say so far, so good. Uh, but a lot remains to be seen, right? Because we have the free agency, we have the draft. Those are two major building blocks for what this team is going to be in the fall. You know, the, the funny thing, Sam, with Brian Johnson, you bring him up and he has a reputation that in talking to people in Philly that he's really good with quarterbacks. So it lends another helping hand in the development of a quarterback. And I also think I know the reaction from Eagles fans was, oh, my gosh, good luck with that guy. Well, a year ago, he's one of the hot young assistants in the NFL. 
and one of the rising young guys in the NFL. And in talking to some people up there, I think they felt one person felt um, that maybe he was a little bit hamstrung by Sirianni as you know, in, in that role. But I know someone else has like said kind of the same thing, like the organization kind of didn't really help him out. So I don't, you know, we'll see what it is, but he's coming here in a different role. So to me, that's, you know, he's coming here to help develop a quarterback. I think in the offensive staff, you have two guys in Brian Johnson and Cliff Kingsbury that have not succeeded in the jobs above where they're at now, right? right? Like Cliff was not a, a great head coach. Brian Johnson was not a great offensive coordinator for whatever reasons those might be. But you have to trust, hey, Cliff Kingsbury has a strong track record of developing good offenses. Brian Johnson has a strong track record of helping develop quarterbacks. You have to trust, hey, these guys, if they're if they're devoting their time and energies into the thing that they've proven they're good at, this is going to be a better offense and they're going to be better for it. And these guys will, you know, with Cliff, I'm, I'm a little bit more skeptical with Brian. I think it makes more sense that they can develop their skills to take another shot at those, at those big jobs that they had once. So I see those guys as actually very similar stages of their career right now. And I, and I would, I think that's well put. I, they, they did not, they're going to different roles than what they had previously. What's your skepticism with Kingsbury? I, I think that, uh, when you talk about an air raid offense, the guy's going to be in gun a lot. And I don't think that there are a ton of examples of young quarterbacks succeeding in a mostly gun system. And I say that because, and I know it goes deeper than that. And I know that he played a ton of gun in Arizona because of Kyler's stature. And, you know, he needed to be able to see over the line. Like that's a real thing of why you go gun. But in four years, the lowest rate that Kingsbury used gun was 88%. And I think, you know, last year in Indianapolis, Anthony Richardson was in gun 96% of the time in only like 200 something snaps. But I think that there is, um, you don't get the same action. You don't get the same reaction from defenses when you go soft play action at a gun as opposed to hard play action at under center. Um, and I think that Greg Olson made a great point on Twitter a couple of weeks ago where he said, look at the young quarterbacks who've had success this year. Jordan Love. Brock Purdy, C.J. Stroud, all of those guys are in West Coast offenses where you get under center on first and second down and you have a hard play action and you make a defense respect it. And I think that that is a, a big part of their success. And so I'm not saying you can't succeed in this system if you're just going air raid, you're going gun, whether it be Caleb or Drake or Jaden or whomever. But I just think that when you look at the most recent ways in which young quarterbacks have succeeded, it is not the way that you are going to approach it, probably. I, I would agree with that. I think the hard part with we, we've seen that before in the past when you're running out of gun a lot, it's just hard to marry those as a, the big phrase, marry the concepts. And I think it's been hard to do that when you're in those kind of situations. And you know, shoot, you even look at Detroit with Ben Johnson. You know, um, the way their offense ran, heavy play action, a lot of under center, and not that that's the only way to do it, but it is. And it could also be why, like maybe the air raid did not continue to excel in Arizona in the second half of some of those seasons. And I know that, I know also that, you know, you could do things like get in pistols. So the action is harder, but I just, it just, to me, like there is something about going under center that, that helps a, a young quarterback. And I will say um, in, in, on, a, on a personal note in 2017, um, I went down to Lubbock, Texas to do a story about college football team chaplains to do a story kind of about, about what that was like to be in a college program with those. It was when Davo Sweeney was like baptizing kids, uh, you know, DeAndre Hopkins on the field or whatever. Um, and it just so happened that the the head coach at Texas Tech at the time was Cliff Kingsbury. And when I was there, uh, he was going into year five, the year he ultimately got fired. But one of his 
things that year was that he was trying to show the defensive players that he cared about them. The defense did not feel like he he, he would celebrate their success or he cared about them as much as the offense, obviously, which was his background. And that was the thing that he was trying to address at the time. And so, you know, everybody would tell me in the building, oh, like Cliff gets here at 4 a.m., first one in, last one out. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure, sure, sure. I'm not here for this story, but whatever. And then one day I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go see, I'm going to get up at 345, which is, I know when you're up anyway. Uh, so, so I'm going to walk down, you know, so I walked down to the Texas tech football facility and I sat on the front steps and it was 4am in Lubbock. Uh, and at 406am, a white Escalade pulls into the parking lot and out steps Cliff Kingsbury. And he and I walk into the facility and, you know, he's getting a workout in, but I spent a little bit of time with him and, you know, I went to his office and he had, you know, the, the, on the whiteboard, he had, you know, the X's and O's in, in red and green, you know, marker, and, and he was diagramming plays. That is what he loves to do. And so I think that when the Arizona Cardinals started fast and would fade down the stretch every year, I think a, a part of that, I imagine, is he had the entire offseason to kind of create and think and scheme. And the demands of the head coaching job prevent you from staying on top of those things yeah. uh, and countering defenses throughout the year. So I think that when one of the reasons I'm more optimistic, despite the reasons I just said for the gun and, and the air raid and things like that, one of the reasons I'm optimistic is if you let him cook, if you let him focus on the offense the entire year, I have a greater degree of belief that he'll figure it out and stay ahead of the curve. Let Cliff cook. Is that what the, is that the new phrase now? <laughs> that, that, let, let them all cook, man. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Looking for a super offer for Super Bowl 58? DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. You bet on the big game and turn 5 bucks into 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code KIME, K-E-I-M. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 58 with code KIME, K-E-I-M. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Well, I also think the other part of it, too, and I think this is something from Dan Quinn's perspective that what he's trying to set up here is something I don't think he felt like he had in Atlanta, which is a plan of succession. So let's say, in a best-case scenario, that they come here, you know, he comes here and they, whoever they draft, whether it's Jane Daniels, Drake May, I'm always going to mention both of them because if you don't mention both of them together, someone else says, well, what about this? So Drake May or Jane Daniels? Well, what about, what about Caleb? 
<laughs> well, I'm just assuming Chicago picks him. Well, but what if Washington trades up? All right. In this exercise, Chicago <laughs> picks him. So I'm just taking these two. But yes. But, but I'm Caleb, saying for the, for the rest of draft season, I want you to think when you say Caleb or Drake, or uh, when you say Drake or Jaden, Sam, Sam might say Caleb. Well, I'm surprised someone out there and say, yeah, but what about Bo Nix if you trade back? So No, no, no. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> so anyway, let's say they stay at two and it's Drake, Mayor, Jaden Daniels. Okay. And um, they, they have success. And in two years, Cliff Kingsbury leaves. Well, if you have Ryan Johnson, your staff, you can now elevate him into that role. So you can keep some continuity within that system if that's how you set it up. I think in Atlanta, they did not really have that. Kyle left and a lot of those guys left with them rather than him promoting those guys just kind of all left. I think that's important too. And I want to point out that if Cliff Kingsbury leaves for a head coaching job or if he gets poached or whatever, like that would be one of the best things to happen to this franchise in a long time. Like it'd be success. Yeah. Yeah. People should not be afraid of that. You know, if he comes in. Right. Exactly. So uh, yes, I, I think that setting up a succession plan, um, is really great, and if and if that happens, you and I are going to start making references to to Tom Wamsgans and and Greg Hirsch. And... <laughs> you know, I saw a clip from that show yesterday. I'm like, I've got to go back and watch it again now because it's been what a year almost, um, something like that, something like that. So, what you know, what other direction do you think this franchise needs to go with? As far as you know, let's look at some of the player decisions, some of the top player decisions: of Curtis Samuel, Antonio Gibson, Cam Curl. What would you? What do you think? should be done at this point with them one of i mean there's a couple directions i could take this um i think the receiver position is going to be really important because if you know cliff kingsbury the air raid like he uses a lot of four receiver sets and they only have four receivers under contract who took an offensive snap last year one of them being mitchell tinsley who took like three offensive snaps um but the the way that i'm going to take this is you bring in dan quinn to be a defensive guy joe witt um i'm curious what this defense looks like and i think that the number one question I have, because it's the soonest deadline, the deadline is, is March 5th, is are they going to franchise tag Cam Curl? And I I, I I don't know. I'm skeptical because it would be $17.2 million. That's the estimate right now and over the cap. I think that's probably a, ri- a little rich for someone of, of his production. But at the same time, I do think Cam is, is an important part of this defense. He raises the floor tremendously, even though he hasn't made those splash plays. Um, and, and I wonder you know, if I'm Dan Quinn and I want to say, okay, you know, I need smart guys and, and Cam is clearly that um, to help establish, you know, the back end of my defense, you know, what are they going to do with him? Um, I think that's, that's probably, you know, the thing that I would, I would say. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's funny because I would not put the franchise. I think that's, a, that's rich for where Cam is at as far as a playmaker. I really, I like what he adds. And I think they need to find a way to keep him. I don't know that I think you can do that without the tag, but that's just me. Um, are you saying are you saying you can do it pre-free agency? Because I, I don't think you can get him to a long-term deal before free agency starts probably, unless you unless you overpay by quite a probably, bit. Pro- probably the case. I don't know that I would put the tag on him, though. I just think that's an awful – I think once you – like I think that's – and I, I haven't studied the numbers at this point, but to me, tag suggests – a pretty high guy at your position. And I don't know that I, as much as like, I think he adds a lot, but I think the guys that you give that to have to be playmakers to me. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to go to that level, because once you get to that level, 
the salary starts there. You can't start there and go down. So that would be my concern is what is that the best use of resources? If you're, if they're so, they're very big on analytics, as you know. So what would the analytics say about paying the safety that much if they're not making the kind of plays that change games? I think the value of Cam is that he sometimes prevents big play. He a lot of times prevents big plays from being made because he's in the right spot. He's versatile. I love the guy as far as a, a defensive piece for this team. And everybody I talk to says, you got to sign that guy. But I don't know about that that high. You could just franchise tag him twice. You know, that's that that this organization. I, I'm I'm making a joke. I, I don't know if that went over people's heads about Brandon Sheriff, but like, some people, like too soon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Um, the, the question, though, I would say is if you got to keep him, if you got to sign him to a long term deal. I mean, if he's going to go to free agency, I think there's going to be there's going to be a demand for his services. I mean, he's I think um, he's probably one of the 20 to 30 best free agents on the market. And when you get to the market, you you max out your leverage if, if you're a, if you're a player, if you're an agent. So I wonder, you know, what is his market? Is it 13 a year, 14 a year, 15 a year? I mean, that, that would be rich. That would be top five, top seven safety money. But it's are you willing to pay that? And what is the premium that you're willing to pay to, to not let to not get him there? You know, I think right. that's the question that I have for Adam Peters, if that's even on his radar right now. Yeah. And I don't and I don't know. And um, again, he's a valuable piece. I just I think there's a limit as to where you're going to go with him. But I also wonder, too, like, what, how does what their the, their thoughts on Quan Martin, Derek Forrest and how they view them. But I think like those three together can be really good. And, you know, as a, as a trio. So I would do what I could to keep him because, again, I think that versatility. And then you have a I think one of the things that you saw with Dan Quinn in Dallas is his ability to maximize what a guy does. And I think that's where Cam can fit in very well is that. And but again, there's that's a different conversation than the money part of it. Where are you willing to go with it? Because, <clears throat> you know, yes, they have the cap space. They also have to sign a few guys to get to that limit. Right. Just, and then you're going to have to sign some other guys. And so it's not, I think that money, I don't know if it's going to go fast, but it's not, I don't expect them to be these crazy, crazy spenders like Dan Snyder when he was first here. But I, you know, you have a lot of things you've got to fill with it too. So got to find some defensive ends, Sam. Um, but, you know, the other one is, is Antonio Gibson. And in this kind of style of offense, could he be really good? Is this a better fit for him? But you got, two running backs already here. And for him, would he want to come back knowing that Rodriguez is here and Robinson is here? And, and, but I'm the other part of that is how do they see those two guys in that style? It would have to be a, a market thing, right? Because I think that if, if you can get Antonio Gibson for not that much money, uh, I, I think he's a valuable tool, a, a valuable piece to have in your offense because he is explosive. And I know that Brian Robinson played, made more explosive plays and he was, you know, a truly versatile guy last year, but I just don't think they ever figured out really how to use AG. And I don't just mean the Eric B. I mean, I mean, Scott Turner, you know, like he, I, I just don't think that he was ever maximized here. Um, but again, if, if there's a team that really likes him, who has a real vision for AG and they're willing to pay for it, then I think it, it you know, it kind of gets out of range, but yeah, it, it, it's how does he fit in the broader system? Can he, I would imagine that just given what I know some scouts 
like of AG, you know, what some scouts think of AG, that he will have a more robust market. But with running backs, it's always, you know, it's always hard to tell um, what that second contract is really going to look like. Right. He's a big guy who can catch. And that's a good thing in this market because you think he can have a longer career because he's not going to be this, you know, middle of the field pounder for however many years. So he can have a longer career with that. But I don't know if for him, he may just get to the point where you say, you know, no, it's a new regime, but I keep hearing every year that they're going to use me a certain way. And then it doesn't happen. I'm going to go somewhere else where they're going to tell me that and maybe pay me more. So that that's the other part of it um, with quarterbacks. Have you, how much, first of all, you're down at the senior bowl. What kind of things did you pick up down there um, that maybe stayed with you? I think the medicals are going to be a really big deal for Michael Penix. And that's not like a huge take for a guy that's torn an ACL multiple times, but I mean, he has zip, like the ball comes out of his hand. Right. And, you know, we saw that, that throw he made up the middle um, in the playoff semifinal. But I think that Penix to me has the inside track for, for QB four over Bo Nix. Um, I know that some guys believe that they're different schematically, um, but I just, I just like Penix. Uh, I think he throws a really good ball. Um, Bo Nix, uh, I think it seems to me, and, and I had one scout tell me this, that he needs more of a defined offense to, to, um, to succeed in, whereas Penix maybe, you know, you can, you can be a little more versatile with him. Um, but th- those are, those are kind of my, my broad takeaways from, from the senior bowl. I, I, I thought both of them handled the, uh, you know, handled the microscope really well, um, made a good first impression uh, on the NFL level. Penix had a couple of really nice throws, a couple of nice deep balls, but that, that, that was, you know, really my, my broad strokes takeaways. So when you look at the quarterbacks, because obviously the guys that we're going to talk about for the next two and a half, three months, we're not there. But ha- I don't know, you know, do you have an early lead or, or guy that you think might be a, coming here as a better fit or maybe just, you know, between obviously between May and right now between May and Daniels? I get to Caleb in a second. Yeah, we can't talk about Caleb. Um, I mean, Look, you talked about this. I think I saw a tweet that where, where you were saying, don't think hiring Cliff Kingsbury immediately means Caleb because like Drake May has experience in the air raid. You know, I know Jaden Daniels played in the air raid his, his freshman year, you know, early on, certainly when he was at um, Arizona State. I mean, one of the things that I think that people are not talking about, and I'm and I'm early on, right? Like I'm I just turned on um some of the I actually I'm actually watching Caleb tape right now like early um even though i know it's probably drake or Jaden if they stay at two but i've just i've started watching caleb more started digging into the stats on these guys um but it does strike me like how good Jaden daniels was throwing the ball down the field last year like drake may was very good don't get me wrong but like Jaden daniels was the best in the league like if it, on throws of 20 plus yards Jaden daniels had 27 touchdowns and zero picks like the dude push the ball down the field in a really impressive way. And, and if you go back and look at Cliff Kingsbury's offenses in Arizona with Kyler, who obviously, you know, has a nice arm, like he was pushing the ball down the field at, at some of the highest rates in the league. Like they take shots and they look for explosives. And Dan Quinn said like, this team is going to be expl-. one of the two adjectives he used was explosive. And so if I'm thinking, okay, how, you know, how are they going to accomplish that? Those two guys are, are certainly leaders in the clubhouse. Although I will say I watched, Caleb versus UCLA the other day and he had this throw where he was climbing in the pocket and he like he threw it like a javelin like 50 yards in the air and it was just a beautiful ball and it's like 
all right, I, I see, I see why, you know, a lot of people consider this dude the top guy in the class. And so I know I'm kind of undercutting your, uh, your take about don't think Caleb's going to come here and we're focused on Drake or Jaden, but that's just where my head's at. Oh no. And I don't know that that's going to happen. Like my only point is for the purpose of this exercise, because yeah. I'm assuming that Chicago is going to take him, but what would you give up again? Caleb is the top guy in this class. What would you give, what would you be comfortable with them giving up to move up to that spot? Well, it's funny. Your colleague, Tim Hasselbeck was on your network earlier today saying that he, he's not sold on Caleb being the number one kid. In this I know class. he's he also, not. I know that. He, which, which is interesting to me. Um, what would I give up? I mean, to go from two to one, I mean, but there's a, obviously, you know, if there's competitors, you, you, you at a minimum have to give up next year's one, right? So it's two ones. I would say, you know, two ones and a three, does that get it done? Two ones and a, and a two, if it's next year's two, like, does that get it done? I think that you want to avoid the, the 49ers trade up for Lance. I mean, they went from, I think it was like 12 to three, right? They gave up three first round picks. Um, but I think if you can get if you can get it for two first rounders and you know another mid round pick, another early to mid, whether it be second or third, I think I think that would be suitable. If you believe that Caleb is like far and away the guy, if you believe that he has a much higher hit rate, he has a much higher chance of being that guy for the next 10 to 15 years, then I think you do it. And I know that this organization has not always had a great track record with giving up, you know, a lot of assets to move up in the first round. They've not had a great track record of bringing hometown heroes in, you know, with, with Chase Young. I think that's a totally legitimate consideration for this. And Dwayne. And, and Dwayne. But if if you're Adam Peters and you put on the film and you talk to your guys and you talk to everyone and you say, okay, Caleb is clearly the number one guy, then I think, you, I, I think you're, you're totally justified in giving up what it takes to go get him. And I guess the one thing I would wonder too is would Chicago, if you're Chicago, yeah. you could you might be able to get more and still move down to three or even later and still get a guy you really want. And you may be able to cash in more than what you get from Washington, which then raises the price for Washington. That's the hard part. That's the one hard part in all this. And as someone else told me, like if so, people are going to give up this much for Caleb Williams, shouldn't that tell Chicago, maybe you should go draft that guy instead but, you know, I think it, everything at this point, it's what, February 8th? Everything's on the table. So it's going to be discussed because we have almost three months to the draft. So everything will be discussed about 300 times. Bless you. If you can't see, you couldn't hear Sam or see Sam, but he's sitting there sneezing with the mute button. Hey, so. I hit the mute button, man. I, I, I worked in radio I, once. I hit the cough button. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. So I, but I did, listen, you have to put it on the table and discuss it because there is a tie there. And, and if Chicago somehow says they want to hold on to Justin Fields for another year or two, even though they have to pay him, and you wouldn't have to pay Caleb, but what if they do? And what, what if they say, like, you know, maybe it's better to do that and then get all these picks and build? So there's a lot of things to look at with this. And then from this team, do you really want to give up all those picks? But we'll see. Like, that's going to be a very big discussion because you're right. He is that good. And most, I know what Hasselbeck has said, and he's been consistent on that. And there's some other people who think like they'll, they'll point out a Jane Daniels or Drake may is the best guy. Um, but most people I've, that I've talked to early on would say Caleb, because he's just different. You watch him. The kid is different. He's electric. And so I think, it, but you know, then it's, we'll see. But um, last thing is, so you and Nikki had the story in Eric, the enemy that ran it's Thursday. We're taking this Thursday. So I'm just curious, 
you know, what, what your takeaway with that piece was. And, and basically it explains and, you know, wrote a variation of this during the season about what went wrong this season. This is about why he wasn't retained or promoted, whatever, how you want to phrase it. So what did, what was your takeaway from that? Yeah, we wanted to explain to readers basically why Eric Bieniemy, who arrived a year ago to great fanfare, to seemingly taking the next step toward this long-awaited promotion to head coach, why didn't it work out? Why did Dan Quinn arrive and one of the first major decisions was to fire this guy? And so we went through and just kind of explained to people um, it was a combination of, of factors. I think Quinn wanted to bring in his own guy. We, you know, he talked about he didn't like facing Cliff Kingsbury and he was on the list of guys who would like to bring in. I think um, second, the offense was unbalanced and ineffective for a lot of the season. And then the third one that we wanted to contextualize it is there was tension between Eric B and his players. You know, Logan Thomas spoke about this on the record after the last game, just saying, Hey, we had our ups and downs with Eric B and we have some players. We, we quoted them anonymously because we wanted them to feel free to speak candidly about internal team dynamics and, I mean, they describe EB as a hardworking coach, but he sometimes hamstrung his own work um, with poor communication, stubborn play calling, and a disregard for player feedback. And I think that um, it's important to note that players can sometimes feel that way about a coach, but if, if people are winning, it's okay. Uh, but I think that when something like this happens and you're losing and you know, you're know you not trying new things, people get frustrated. So it's not meant to be a hit piece. It's not meant to tear him down, but it is, it is an explanation of for people who are there every day as Nikki and I, and you are, when, when you say, why did this not work out? These are the pieces of evidence that we found to say, this is what happened. Yeah. And I even talked to player at the end of the year. I said, what's key for our coordinators? Like to, they wanted to be collaborative. So anyway, but yeah, anyway, the enemy's gone and there's a new staff here, Sam, tell people where they can find you. You can find me on on Twitter at or X or whatever, S-A-M, the number four, T-R. You can find me in the Washington Post, WashingtonPost.com. Um, yeah. Blue Sky. I don't need, Do you know what Blue Sky is? Um, I know gray skies right now, so I'm looking outside. <laughs> I do not know Blue Sky. I'm not on threads either. Threads, yeah. I, I mean, like, I'm on there, but I, I don't really use it that much. I, I mean, it does feel like uh, – it does. I don't know. Like, I feel like Twitter, I, I don't, I still don't love it. You know, like the new, the new Twitter, it's the for you page. I'm not a huge fan. I know some people are, but uh, yeah, you can find me there if, if that works. There you go. So thanks a lot. Shout out Miss Fortier and appreciate you coming on, Sam. Yeah. Thank you for having me, man.